All right. So we've come to a pretty familiar passage in the Gospel of John this morning. And I don't know what comes to your mind when you hear those words that Jesus is the good shepherd. But what came to my mind is like a Renaissance era painting of white Jesus holding a little lamb. And it looks like he got a $140 haircut and accidentally stopped at the wrong pet store, thought he was going to get a puppy, and ended up picking up this cute little lamb. And when you look at the picture, you're kind of thinking, okay, Jesus is tender, he's kind, but he's not very tough. Like If he got in a fight, I think a strong wind would blow him over before he even started throwing any punches. And so there's a danger when we come to a passage like this because we can have a preconceived notion about what it means that Jesus is our shepherd. And by so doing, we don't hear what the text is actually saying to us. So I'm hoping that this morning we get a reframe that sets us on the right course and shows us that it is good news that Jesus is the good shepherd, but maybe not in the way that we thought. Because in the ancient world, when they heard shepherd, they heard more what we would hear when we hear construction worker or farmer or soldier. They thought about a sturdy, blue-collar worker. So in that sense, we're going to see that Jesus is our good shepherd. The first thing we see in the text is actually a negative. It's that Jesus is not a thief. Look with me at John 10, verses 1 through 6 to start. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter by the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens, the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus is setting the stage for us about his teaching, about him being the good shepherd. So he's giving us a picture of what that means in this text. But remember, just before this passage last week, we saw that Jesus healed a man who was born blind. And he had said to the Pharisees very pointedly, if you knew that you were blind, you could see. But because you say we can see, you're blind. If you'll notice in your Bible, there is no break between verses, the end of chapter 9 and the beginning of chapter 10, which means this is a continuation of the same conversation. Jesus is talking to the religious leaders in the presence of the formerly blind man. And he is both trying to compel them to follow him as their shepherd, and he is calling them out for being thieves who are posing 
as shepherds. So he gives us this image that is not familiar to us of a sheepfold or a sheep pen with a gate at one end. So what I want you to picture is I want you to picture a sheep pen that is big enough to hold however many sheep that shepherd has. It's about a three foot tall stone wall that is in a big circular shape. And on one end of that sheep pen is a gate. And if the shepherd wanted to have his sheep protected from predators, he would put the sheep inside of that sheep pen. And if he wanted to take them out to pasture to get grass or water, he would take them through the gate. And this was like a huge commercial enterprise in that day. And so what shepherds would do is they would go to sleep and they would hire a gatekeeper to stand by the gate to make sure that the sheep wouldn't get out and that no one else other than the shepherd would take them out. And so Jesus is using this image to talk to these false teachers and false leaders and to make a contrast between himself and them. And he's saying that what you would do with the sheep, that is, the normal person who's trying to follow after God, is instead of taking them through the gate, the normal way out of the sheepfold or the sheep pen, the only way that you would get them out because you're not shepherds and the gatekeeper would never let you take them because it would be obvious that you were trying to harm them. The only way you could get the sheep out is you would have to climb in by another way. In other words, you'd have to hop the three-foot wall and in hopping the three-foot wall, you would have to devise a way to get the sheep out. And the only way to get sheep out of a three foot, over a three-foot wall that I can think of is to harm the sheep in some way. You'd have to start like picking the sheep up and chucking them over the wall. So he's giving this very vivid image of what it would look like for a thief or a robber to take sheep from a sheepfold. Now, we've seen throughout the Gospel of John that the primary false teaching, the primary thing that the Pharisees are promoting and pushing out there that is not a shepherding of the sheep, but is a harming of the sheep, is they're saying to them, not you're saved by the grace of God, let's point you to the Savior of the world who's on the scene, but instead you're saved by following the rules. All you have to do is be Jewish that is be the right ethnicity, the right color, from the right background. And then you have to keep the rules. And by keeping the rules, you'll be saved. And Jesus is saying, that's not only untrue, it's also incredibly harmful. Because people are not good and can become better through their works. They are lost and need to be saved. Now, in doing this and starting to talk about shepherds and sheep, I think it was beginning to dawn on some of these religious leaders who Jesus was claiming to be. And maybe a passage like Ezekiel chapter 34, verses 2 through 16, would come to their mind. Let me read this for you because I think what this is going to clearly show us is that in using this language, 
Jesus is doing nothing less than claiming to be God. Okay, look with me at this passage. Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, even to the shepherds, thus says the Lord God, ah, shepherds of Israel, who have been feeding yourselves. Should not shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat, you clothe yourselves with wool, you slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. The weak you have not strengthened, the sick you have not healed, the injured you have not bound up, the strayed you have not brought back, the lost you have not sought, and with force and harshness you have ruled them. So they were scattered, because there was no shepherd, and they became food for all the wild beasts. My sheep were scattered. They wandered over all the mountains and on every high hill. My sheep were scattered over all the face of the earth, and with none to search or seek for them. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. As I live, declares the Lord God, surely because my sheep have become a prey, and my sheep have become food for all the wild beasts, since there was no shepherd, and because my shepherds have not searched for my sheep, but the shepherds have fed themselves and have not fed my sheep, therefore you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God, behold, I am against the shepherds, and I will require my sheep at their hand and put a stop to their feeding the sheep. No longer shall the shepherds feed themselves. I will rescue my sheep from their mouths, that they may not be food for them. For thus says the Lord God, Behold, I, I myself will search for my sheep and will seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his flock when he is among his sheep that have been scattered, so I will seek out my sheep. And I will rescue them from all places where they have been scattered on a day of clouds and thick darkness. And I will bring them out from the peoples and gather them from the countries and will bring them into their own land. And I will feed them on the mountains of Israel by the ravines and in all the inhabited places of the country. I will feed them with good pasture and on the mountain heights of Israel shall be their grazing land. They shall lie down in a good grazing land and on rich pasture. They shall feed on the mountains of Israel. I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep. And I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord. I will seek the lost, and I will bring back the strayed. And I will bind up the injured, and I will strengthen the weak. And the fat and the strong I will destroy. I will feed them in justice. You see, hundreds of years before Jesus walked on the earth, God spoke to these shepherds, these so-called shepherds, of Israel, and he promised that he would walk on the earth and that he would be the true shepherd of the people of Israel. So keep in mind, the Pharisees knew their Bibles inside and out, and Jesus is saying to them, I am the good shepherd, and he is unequivocally saying, I am God. I am here to feed my sheep, and I am here for justice. That is to call you out for what you have been doing. Now, these Pharisees, these teachers, are not the only false shepherds 
who have been trying to lead astray the people of God. In every generation, there are wolves posing as shepherds, bringing false teaching. That is trying to get the sheep out by another way, not through the gate, which we will see is Jesus himself, but another route. And these destructive teachings are something that all of us need to be aware of. So I wanted to just point out a few teachings that I see that might draw you away from the good shepherd that are prominent in our day. The first one that we hit on quite often here as a church is the prosperity gospel. That's the idea that God wants you to have health, wealth, and prosperity above all else. That is, you don't really need a good shepherd. What you really need is a good financial planner. And these false teachers would have you believe that if you can get your life in order and drive the car that you want to drive and live in the house that you want to live in and go on the vacations that you want to go on, then you have God's blessing. And Jesus would say to that teaching that you cannot serve both God and money. To revolve your life around money and wealth and possessions is the opposite of following Jesus. To follow Jesus is to follow where he leads, to be a steward of the money that he's given you. A second false teaching that has been prevalent, I think, since the beginning of time is the idea that you can be saved by your works. This is the teaching that the Pharisees were promoting. If you follow the rules and are good, you will go to heaven. You see, you don't need a shepherd. You don't need to follow after Jesus. All you need are the rules. You just need the Ten Commandments. You need a good set of rules. You need a good to-do list. You write those things down. You're better than most people, and you can be guaranteed that you will go to heaven. The next false teaching I see is the false teaching of easy believeism. That is, if you prayed a prayer at church camp or in youth group or maybe even at Salt Company and you gave your life to Jesus, that you're once saved, always saved in sort of a non-follower of Jesus sort of way. So you just have to believe vaguely that Jesus is the good shepherd, but when he leads you out into the pastures or leads you back into the pen, there's no need to follow him because belief is enough. You don't need to be a follower of Jesus. Like followers of Jesus, those are kind of extreme Christians. You just believe what Jesus has done one time and you're safe forever. No need to grow as a Christian by following Jesus. No need for a shepherd. You just need to believe. And the last false teaching that I think might be the most prominent and prevalent in our day is what I'll call the political gospel. And that is that God's agenda aligns with either the liberal or conservative agenda. So you don't need a shepherd you need to vote on a political leader. And that political leader will lead you into the promised land. 
And what happens in this false teaching is because that political agenda is called Christianity in some form, you begin to confuse either the Democratic agenda or the Republican agenda with Jesus' agenda, which does not align with either one of those. Now, why would people want to attach the name of Jesus to all of these different false teachings and try to lead you astray? It's because they're false shepherds. In so doing, they gain followers, they gain pride, they gain notoriety. Social media has just blown this whole thing up. They are trying to gain followers for themselves, not followers for Jesus. True shepherds exist to point people toward Jesus, to say about Jesus that he is the good shepherd, that you ought to follow him, not them. Okay, so Jesus is not a thief. The second thing we see in the text is that Jesus is the door or the gate. This is a really interesting point that Jesus makes here. Verses 7 through 10 say, So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Okay, so this is a really startling claim that Jesus is making here. The big idea of the whole passage is that Jesus is the good shepherd. But then he says something very strange. He also says that he is the gate or the door. Now, you've got this image in your mind now of the sheepfold. And so the sheep would go into the pen or the sheepfold through the gate. And they would go in for protection from wild animals. And then they would go out of the sheepfold through the gate to go into pasture, to get grass or to get water. And Jesus is saying, I am that doorway. Now he's using the sheepfold and the shepherding as a metaphor for the spiritual life. So he's saying the only way to thrive or to have spiritual life is to enter through the door. And the door, by the way, is me. Now, there's been a lot of religious teachers over the centuries who have made a lot of different claims. But the basic claim is, I have teaching from God. And you should follow after this teaching. And by following after my unique teaching, you will find yourself to be right and be right before God, and you will end up in a good place rather than a bad place by following my teaching. Jesus is not saying here, just follow my teaching. Now, I think that's part of it, but he is saying, I am the way. I'm the doorway into heaven. 
You have to enter through me. I am the way to eternal life. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son does not have life, and the wrath of God remains on him. Do you remember that from John chapter 3? Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He said, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. He is making an exclusive claim about who he is using a metaphor. And that is, I don't know if you've you've recognized this, one of the most offensive things about Christianity to our society. In fact, I was just having a conversation not too long ago on my driveway with one of my neighbors and inadvertently kind of walked into a conversation about this very thing. And I was saying to him what I believed as a Christian, that Jesus saves us from our sins, that Jesus loves us, that by placing our faith in him and following after him, we are saved. And he was obviously in this conversation kind of backpedaling and uncomfortable, and he made the statement that he believed that all religions are basically the same. You've heard this before, right? That all religions are basically the same, and essentially his picture was all of these different paths lead to the same destination because what he was saying was they basically all teach the same thing. So his understanding of all religions is they basically teach the golden rule. We're to love our neighbor as ourselves. We're to treat other people the way we want to be treated. And if you're a good person, then you'll end up at the right destination. See, what was making him uncomfortable in our conversation was he was viewing what I was saying as narrow-minded. But I want you to think about this a little while because I think that that claim kind of has some of our consciences in bondage and we even feel like it would be wrong to share the gospel with other people. But let me show you that the position that he was taking is actually equally narrow-minded as the position that I was taking. You see, what he's saying is actually offensive to just as many people in the world as what I was saying. Because by saying that every religion is equal and all of their morality leads to the same place, he is denying the claims of every religion. You see, the reason that there are religions is because every religion is making exclusive truth claims. So he in saying what he was saying, it turns out is also making an exclusive truth claim. He is saying that none of the religions are true, with a capital T, but what is actually true is that there is no true religion. What I'm saying comes from the authority of God's word and from the mouth of Jesus himself. So I'm basing my belief on the authority of Jesus. It turns out, he might not know this, but the authority that he's basing his beliefs on is a Western, secular, elitist authority that started in the university community with this idea of postmodernism and has trickled down to driveway conversations. So he's got an authority that's very Western, that's very new, that's very elitist. I've got an authority. He's narrow-minded. 
I'm narrow-minded. So here's the real question on the table. Who's right? What's true? What's real? What really leads to life and what really leads to flourishing? Where is the real door? Now, being narrow-minded, if you're in a dangerous situation, like Jesus is claiming that we're in, is not a bad thing. Imagine right now, this is not true, so no one freak out. Imagine if this auditorium caught on fire. And what if I knew, because of a planning meeting that we had, that the only door that was unlocked to exit the auditorium was that door? The auditorium catches on fire. Everyone needs to get out. And I say to everybody, because I got the mic, Go out that door as fast as you can. It's the only door that's unlocked. And let's say somebody else is in the room and they think, man, that pastor's such a narrow-minded bigot, saying that that door is the only door out of the auditorium. And so they stand up on their chair and they start yelling, no, all the doors are unlocked. You can get out any door you want to get out. They all lead to the lobby. They all lead to the same destination. It turns out that whoever's right is the gracious one. Whoever's right is the loving one. If that person is right, then my narrow-mindedness is leading to people's death. But if only that door is open, then my narrow-mindedness is life for you. Either... Jesus is the thief, is the robber, who is trying to squash our fun and keep us from happiness and keep all of the religions in the world from holding hands and singing whatever song you could come up with that would unify everybody, (laughs) or what he's saying is true. He is the door, the only way in to spiritual protection and out to spiritual life is through him. His claim must be considered by every person because it is so unique that either it is the greatest lie that has ever been told or this is the son of God and what he's saying is true. Okay, so Jesus is not a thief. Jesus is the door. Finally, what we see in the text is that Jesus lays down his life. Now, this is providing the primary evidence for us of why we can trust that Jesus is the good shepherd, why we can follow after him. Look with me at verses 14 through 18. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own Know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason, the Father loves me, because I lay down my life, that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge... I have received from my Father. So Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. He knows his sheep. They know him. 
And then he says, and this is why you can trust my claim. Because I lay down my life for the sheep. If you want to know the heart of God, if you want to know the main reason that I have become a follower of Christ, you see it in that simple phrase from Jesus. I lay down my life for the sheep. The reason that we love the cross at this church is because more than any other place, we see the heart of God there. Jesus is predicting his death. And he is wanting even these people who are at present his enemies to understand the meaning of his coming. What grace and love he's showing to even those who are opposed to him. And he's like, I want you guys to understand this. When I die on the cross, I want you to understand that I am not going there as a victim of human sin. I am going there by my own will, by my Father's design. I'm going there because I want to go there. I'm laying down my life for the sheep. Now, whoever heard of a shepherd dying for their sheep? Like, imagine if we got a news report from Turkey or some country in the Middle East where they're still doing shepherding widely, and we found out that a shepherd had died for their sheep. I don't know about you, but I think I would question a little bit the sanity of that shepherd. Like, really? Okay, like, I understand taking care of sheep, but it seems to me that you are more valuable than a sheep. Why would you dive in front of a sheep when it's being attacked by a wolf? Just let the sheep die. Seriously. And here is the great mystery of the gospel. Do you remember what John the Baptist said at the beginning of the gospel of John when he saw Jesus? He did not say, behold the shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. He said, behold the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Here's the amazing thing about the gospel. Jesus didn't just become our shepherd so that we would follow after him. He took it a step further. He became a sheep to die on our behalf. He died for you. He became like you. The reason he put on human flesh is so that he could become killable. So that blood could flow out of his hands and feet. And this blood is for you. When we see the cross, we see the love of God, but we also see what we deserve. Because all us like sheep have gone astray. Each one of us has chosen our own way by our sin. And the punishment for sin is death. And Jesus came to take that punishment for you on the cross. And so there's one of two responses to this truth. We see these responses in the Pharisees. Look with me at John 10, 19 through 21 to close. There was again a division among the Jews because of these words. Many of them said, he has a demon and is insane. Why listen to him? Others said, these are not the words of one who is oppressed by a demon. 
Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? See, you don't have the option of just saying, yeah, I think Jesus is a good teacher, he's a good man, but I don't really believe that he died for our sins and is the savior of the world. You either have to say, this dude is insane. Who makes that claim? He's claiming to be God, who became a lamb and died for our sin. Either that's crazy and he has deluded the whole world, or you say, can someone who is insane open the eyes of the blind? Can someone who is insane forgive the sins of the world? And you bow your knee to King Jesus, not because you fully understand him, but because you see his heart of love in the beauty of the cross. And you say, what manner of love is this? The son of God became the lamb to die on my behalf. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you that you are the shepherd who became a sheep so that you could die the death that we deserve. Pay the penalty for our sin, our very real sin, God. Many of us uh, look back at this past week and we're not proud of the way we treated our kids or the way we treated our spouse or the way we treated our friend. We, we see this sin, this violation of our conscience and of your law and we recognize that we have incurred real moral guilt and that we can't climb out of the sheep pen on our own, that we can't do it by our religious works, that we can't avoid the consequences of our sin. And Jesus, we recognize with millions of others, even billions of others throughout history, that we are sinners desperately in need of your grace. And so we say, we believe. In Jesus' name, amen.